Hi, I'm Meredith. Hi, I'm Joseph, and you are listening to Are You Waiting for Permission? It's a podcast for those who don't want to wait any longer. Joseph, it is a delight to see you as always, my beautiful friend. Wow, wow. Happy Tuesday to you, Meredith Grundy. Happy Tuesday to you. How is it in uh, central Mexico these days? It is amazing. It's rainy season and the earth is dry. As you know, there's yeah. lots of drought happening and we are grateful for all the rain that skies mm. open up and just pour for hours and hours. I love it. Beautiful. How is it in central New York? Well, it is it's a little balmy, but it's also been raining periodically. Mm. I, it's, you know, I think it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Okay. Everything's Enjoy blooming. It. And what are uh, we doing here together? Well, today? we have Do a guest. Know? We have the lovely Cher Davidson with us today. And Cher is an author. She is an activist and she is an artist. And mm, triple A. I, triple A. She could she start is a, a company. She should start a company called Triple A. That's a really great idea. There will be no competition there. There will be hardly uh, any competition there. No, at all. Hardly any. Yes, or cease and desist letters. Yes. <laughs> well, welcome, welcome, Cher. It's such a delight to have you here on Are You Waiting for Permission? I am waiting for permission to open my mouth. <laughs> well, you don't have to with us. I mean, oh, I just yes. dive in. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm very ready and I'm very excited about talking with the two of you talented people. It's a Thank privilege. you. Where are um, you in the world so our listeners can picture you? Where are you? I'm in a beautiful little suburb of Portland, Oregon called West Lynn. And we really have a village, which is unusual now. We have mm. a little village called Willamette Village which goes back to the late 1700s wow. and sits right above the Willamette River. So I'm 10 minutes. I can fly down my hill with my kayak on my car, put it into the river and go kayaking, my favorite sport. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. What is what, what's one thing that's unique about your village for our listeners? Well, I think the fact that it is an historical area. Mm -hmm. um, that it's a very lovely, upscale, modern suburb of a beautiful big city, Portland, but also that it has a village feel. I think that's mm. what makes it. Uh, after living in San Miguel de Allende, my favorite place in the world in Mexico, I couldn't imagine coming back and living in a big city. So mm -hmm. we chose to live actually near our daughter also in this smaller kind of environment. It feels very good. Lots of trees. I look out on beautiful trees. Um, and we went up on a hill last night and watched the fireworks for 4th of July. Oh, 4th of July. So we can sure. hike very yeah. close by. We have hmm. forest trails near us. I love to hike. So that's, that's a little terrific. bit about it. Yeah, thank you. So thank I'm you. remembering, Cher, that while you were living in San Miguel, you gave yourself permission to begin to do some activism here. I know you had done activism previously in other chapters of your life, but you were very sensitive to the needs of refugees and others, and you co-founded an organization. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Oh, Joseph, thank you for asking that and giving me permission to talk a little bit about it. Uh, I'm a little afraid some of my best friends are a little tired of hearing about LARF, Latin American Relief Fund. It's very close to my heart and the heart of my husband. 
what happened while we were living in San Miguel, we started to see many refugees walking through the town. And we were worried about where could they go? And I went searching all over town for a shelter. Well, there was none in San Miguel. And I did a lot of research and finally talked to a Red Cross person who said, oh, I'll take you. There's one in Celaya. So 55 minutes away from the town of San Miguel de Allende, we found what people now call Abba House, but it correctly, it's called an Alberque Abba, which is a shelter named Abba by the wonderful, generous man who started it, Ignacio Ramirez. And I went, I took a translator because my Spanish isn't perfect. And I walked in the first day all alone with my translator and me. Oh, and a friend, a friend came along. And I was just blown away by this old, old rundown colonial house that had been converted by Ignacio to this beautiful place of welcome and warmth and kindness. And it was very coincidental that they had just taken in a young man from El Salvador. Well, I had worked in El Salvador doing some humanitarian work. So I'm very close to Salvadorians. And um, they asked me if I would try to talk with him. And I did. My Spanish isn't great, but I went over. And he was in trauma. He had been picked up, kidnapped in Mexico by federales, raped multiple times, and chained, finally released, close to where the shelter was. He was dropped off on a street corner, a body, and he mm -hmm. was picked up there. My heart broke at that moment. And I thought to myself, I have got to do something to help these people. I looked around the room, and there were mostly men at that time. Now we have many women and many children. It was mostly young men between maybe 16, I think I talked to even a 15-year-old, and maybe 30, one older man. So that was, that was the, the heart spring, I guess I could call it, that started me thinking, what can we do? And I encouraged my husband, who was quite interested, to come back with me the week following. And we went in, and after several hours and being there and looking over the wonderful facility he had started, we said, Ignacio, what do you need? And he looked down very modestly, as he always does. And he said to me, well, I knock on doors every time I need to pay the rent each month. And I'm a very spontaneous person. So I said, oh, don't worry. We'll pay the rent. <laughs> I'm sure my husband's face, he was standing behind me. I didn't see him, but I'm sure he went pale. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so we learned what the rent was, and we felt this is doable. And we were coming back to Portland the very next month. I think not even a month. It was about two weeks later. We flew back. We told our daughters, we've got to raise money. We've got to raise money. We ran into an old friend who was a musician. He said, I'll play at a concert. We said, great, we'll do a concert. So we got a couple of top key names. Tom Grant, who's quite well known in this area, jazz pianist. We got a few others as darling singer. Nancy Curtin, Bossa Nova. We ran around trying to find a venue. We finally found it. And to make a long story short, the concert happened and we raised $3,500. That was our mm. first. <laughs> wow. 
And we had, oh, we even had, my daughter said, mom, why don't you have a silent auction? So in the venue, there was a separate room. So we got donations. We were going everywhere getting donations. And we finally did it. So that was the start. My daughter called me the next day and said, mom, I work for a law firm, as you know, and they want to see you. They think that your cause is good and mm -hmm. you ought to start an NGO. So we went into the outlaw firm. We met with some wonderful lawyers who are very pro-social. And they said, we're going to help you get an NGO. Well, they're very expensive to start usually. And NGO so we listener is a non-government organization. Non-governmental, yes. Or you would thank call you. them a nonprofit. <laughs> they call them a nonprofit. Or thank you for, you know, often people do say to me, what is an NGO? So thank you, Joseph, for the permission to define that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is that is a non-governmental. It means that anybody in the United States who donates, it's totally tax deductible. Mm -hmm. And that has helped us a great deal, I think. We've had many wonderful donors, though, from Canada, even Europe. Uh, wonderful, wonderful friends and family and people of our board members, family of our board members. We went back to San Miguel then, and we knew we couldn't do it by ourselves. So we, we started to reach out, and we formed a board. And I'm, I just love our board. They're such kind and wonderful and talented and educated people. We have two immigration lawyers on our board, two doctors. We have a lovely woman who's a writer and a photographer. We have just great, great board members who, who really feel the importance of LARF in their hearts and the importance of helping refugees and migrants. So thank mm. you for giving me the permission to talk about that. <laughs> Absolutely. And where can people find that? Before we move on, where can they, people find that? They can go to latinamericanreliefund.com. Org. That's the website. And our wonderful couple of our wonderful board members have recently modeled, remodeled the website. I had to learn that. <laughs> I went to GoDaddy and I, I, I did my first website. So it's been a learning experience all along. And, uh, and we decided to kind of upgrade it and remodel it recently. So it's a lovely website. We have photos of our, the people we help. Now we have many women many young families. We've had a whole large group of Haitians who've come to Alberque Abba, Abba House uh, in recent months. We get an average of 78 to 100 people a night. Mm -hmm. And now we have the UNHCR involved. So I'm very proud to say that the UN High Commission of Refugees has recently called our shelter, Ignacio's shelter, um, one of the best in Mexico. Oh, wow. That oh, is beautiful. Thank that's you. Thank you for that work. Yeah. Thank you. So I, what I want to do is just highlight to our listeners, because this is such a wonderful organization that you've started and it still is carrying on. And it just took an idea and, and uh, you saw a need and you, you did something about it. And it sounds like I'm assuming people started to gravitate towards helping. And so your community of people who've actually made this what it is today, I would have over time just started to collect, right? Because it was a mission that you truly believed in and put your heart into. Yes. And I think that's true of anything. Mm -hmm. If we approach something from the heart and we approach something with enthusiasm and excitement, we have the potential of getting other people excited. Yeah. 
So especially when it touches their heart. And this was, of course, a no-brainer to know that people are suffering and seeking a new way of life, a better way of life, a life of safety for their children. I mean, I, every day I would meet people during the time of the caravans in 218. I'll never forget the Honduran man who said, do you know my country? Do you know how beautiful Honduras is? I want to stay there, but mm. I can't. And mm. he turned to me and he showed me his hands where the tips of his fingers had been taken off. And then he pulled up his shirt and I saw his scarred back. The gangs had just killed his mother. She had a little tienda and the gangs would extort money from them every month. And pretty soon she had no more money left to give them. And they killed mm. her. He picked up his children literally that day and started walking towards the north. So these are the kind of people that you say, "What? I can't stand here with all that I have and not help. Mm-hmm. I have to do something. So you're driven to do something. I guess you, you give yourself permission and, and you mm-hmm. say, I can do it. I can help. And mm-hmm. I'm going to. It's a determination to it. takes determination. Oh, thank you. Thank you for opening your heart. And, and I'm wondering, listener, if you are listening to your head, sometimes we can have analysis by paralysis by analysis. And please follow Cher Davidson's lead and listen to your heart. Let that mm. be your guide. Truly, truly. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. You also, one of the other A's, the triple A's, uh, you're an author and you just recently published a new book. And I would love it if you could share that with our listeners and tell us a little bit about about the book itself. Um, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, I've lived long enough, eight decades, actually, mm, wow. to have been able to pursue a lot of different, I feel very lucky in that, to pursue a lot of different paths. And I think I can go back to my dad, who once said, honey, shoot for the highest star. Mm-hmm. You might get to the one just below. And try whatever you want. You'll do it. He gave me such courage. I was very shy as a child. And uh, I had the wonderful opportunity of having a theater arts teacher in junior high who encouraged me to get involved in drama. But to go back to what you asked about the book, yes, I have given myself permission to talk to you about the book. Because it just came out a week and a half ago. And it is called Dark Secrets, A Legacy of Memories from 1939 Sweden. This book is my third book. Um, Each one has been very different. I'll tell you about the others later if you give me permission. Um, But this one has been very long in, in being birthed. It's taken me eight years and 13 revisions. And it all started with a trip to Europe with seven other writers um, in Eastern Europe. And then I went up to Sweden to visit my cousins, who I had met before. I had visited with them twice before in southern Sweden. And over a dinner conversation, one of my cousins, get this, their names are Torkel and Torla. Don't you love that? (laughs) Named after (laughs) Viking gods. so Torkel said something, and his father, who was my first cousin, Boris, said something. 
Actually, I think it's Boris who first said it. And it related back to 1939 and then into World War II. Well, I'm a war baby. I was born during the war. So I've always been interested in history. I've always been interested in that era. And I asked a few more questions and my mind started going. And that night I looked out lace curtains out to a beautiful little lake on their property with the moonlight on it. It's very mysterious. And the story started to come to me. It just started to be woven into my fiber of my mm. brain. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I've got to write story. So it sat with me for a while because I had just published another book a few months before that. And I wasn't quite ready to dive in real seriously, but it sat there. You know how ideas will sit and kind of vegetate for a while and then germinate and then vegetate. And so finally, about a year later, I started writing it. But my life was very busy because we were working with LARF and trying to really promote that and do fundraisers. So I wasn't writing regularly. It wasn't until the pandemic. And I have like many writers and actors and actresses and artists have a good thing to say about the pandemic. because, And I think Joseph probably feels that in a way too. In fact, I have Joseph to thank for a wonderful workshop he gave on how to thrive. <laughs> During the pandemic, he and Joseph, I mean, he and Eli. And um, so I started to thrive with my writing. And I started really seriously. I was writing a lot of poetry at first. And then I thought, no, that Swedish story, that seed is still there. I've got to get that. I've got to get that going. So that's the story behind the book. It is, that's why it very rarely does a novel have a subtitle. But I gave myself permission to give it that subtitle, A Legacy of Memory, because I became very interested in intergenerational trauma. And that's what this story is about, intergenerational trauma. Excellent. Well, I'm intrigued because that's what my show is about. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. I didn't know that, Meredith. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. we could go on and on, couldn't we? We could. Yes, we could. <laughs> yeah. Maybe another episode. Another episode. You're well, taking I'll... care of it on the right coast, Meredith, and you're taking care of it on the left coast. <laughs> yes, that's so right. thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to add one little thing because I want to credit her. I credit her in the book. Elizabeth Rossner a wonderful writer who lives in Berkeley, California, mm -hmm. and also in San Miguel. She, I took a marvelous workshop with her and a writing workshop. And afterwards, I was intrigued to read her books. And her most recent one was about, she is a, a child of Holocaust survivors. Mm. And so her book is all about the trauma that people experience, not just the Holocaust, many other kinds of trauma she talks about in her book. So I, that was really very much a, a fruitful experience for me to read her book and then think more about my story. And uh, her book, of course, is nonfiction. Mine is definitely fiction. Mm, okay. I just feel like it's such an important conversation to be having because I feel that the more in tune we are with that and we can, we can heal that from a systemic love, from a systemic place. There's a lot more hope for yeah. revealing our true, authentic selves in a way that feels healthy yes. and honors where we are at present, if that makes sense. 
Yes, it does. When we think about a lot of the disturbances that are going mm -hmm. on that are manifested in, for instance, shootings, I hate to bring it up, in our country right now, those people that are doing that shooting are probably victims of trauma of some type, many of them. And I, I don't like to think of people as naturally evil. Um, I think that it grows out of having experienced some bad things. That leads to goodness, and it can lead to badness. So, right. Well, if you can't, if you can't speak about the shame that you live with, or the the truths that you live with that you're not supposed to speak about, then it can be very harmful. Mm -hmm. And it sits there and germinates within ourselves. Then, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious about your book. That's fiction. I'm wondering if there is any healing of any trauma that you may have experienced, even though you're writing about trauma or you're writing about fiction, were there moments where you felt for yourself that in their writing and telling of the story that you healed anything in your own family? Oh, Joseph, you're so prescient. <laughs> yes. And I didn't think about it at first, but as I was writing it, an idea came to me, and the, the fictional character, Helga, screams at night. Guess what? My mother screamed at night. Oh, and as a wow. child, I would wow. wake up about once a week hearing my mother scream. Now, this is the 1940s. We didn't have the kind of knowledge of psychology mm -hmm. and things. Yeah, 12-step meetings and all of that, podcast, no, all that. No, nope. none of that. You know, my father never talked about taking her to a therapist. They didn't do those things. And I would just ask my father, you know, why is mommy screaming? He said, I don't know. She must just have a bad dream. Well, she was having bad dreams. And I was curious about that. And I never really learned, unfortunately, until just before she died, I had a hint about it. And it was about her Swedish mother, who was an immigrant. And some very sad things that her mother suffered. I won't go into detail. So mm. I think that was sitting in her mind, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. And so I realized as I was writing this, right at the beginning, it was really first about a statement about World War II and Sweden and Sweden's relationship to that. But that started me getting on this track of the young, shy girl in Astoria, Oregon, which is a very Scandinavian community. The Finns, the Norwegians, the Swedes came there because of the fishing on the Columbia River and, and the Pacific Ocean. And, and I started thinking, yes, this girl grows up there. She's got the immigrant grandmother that screams at night. And she has to find out why. And that's the journey. I think every story is a journey. And a character takes that journey. Or two or three characters. So that really was, thank you for asking that. Mm -hmm. That was a big part of it. And that is a part of the novel. And that's what she has to find out. So she ends up in France getting a scholarship to the Sorbonne. She ends up then in Sweden, knowing that she has to solve that mystery. Meredith, yes. are you noticing this beautiful thread that I just have chills on the left hand <laughs> side of my body, that there was generational trauma for an immigrant family and Cher's family. And here she is building websites on GoDaddy and raising mm -hmm. money and paying rent 
to care for immigrants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't wow. think about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Your mother and grandmother would be very, very proud of you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank you, Joseph. I hadn't thought about that connection, but you're right. <laughs> yeah. mm, beautiful. Yeah. Where can people find your book and buy it and invite you to their book clubs? And where can tell us again about LARF and where to find that website? Okay. So first I'll tell you where to find the LARF website, which is latinamericanreliefund.org. And then I will tell you my website. So since LARF allowed me to learn to make a website, (laughs) I built my next website. Yay! (laughs) And I, everybody said, oh, no, you should go to this site. You should do it on here. But I was familiar with GoDaddy. So I mm-hmm. built a GoDaddy website. And it is my author page at sharedavidson.com. Mm-hmm. Now, if you Google sharedavidson.com, I'm not a techie enough to know how to get rid of this. But it comes up, memoir. Look for Cher Davidson's next memoir. <laughs> Well, I think that happened because at one point I was starting a memoir Mm. and I decided, no, I wanted to write this novel. Mm -hmm. So I can't get rid of that. But if you just go to sharedavidson.com, it'll come up and you click on it. Red's my favorite color. So it's all in red and white. (laughs) So that people will know they're in the right place. If they see pink, they're not in the right place. They're not. If they see pink or baby blue, they're not in the right place. So, um, and I think, you know, most of the time it goes pretty directly there. And so you can get my book on my website over on the right side in the menu. It says purchase, or you can go to Amazon. Now I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of people go to Amazon at first. I would love you to buy it on Amazon because I want reviews Mm. and Amazon has algorithms. They won't let you do a review unless you bought their books. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage people who love to read and who have enough uh, spending money. My dad used to say, do you have enough spending money? Spending money. They buy my book on mm. Amazon. But if they feel they need a little bit more of a discounted price, they can go to my website too. So, mm. And I'm only requiring them, though, if they do that, they need to, to write a little review there. Write a review mm-hmm. to me, and there's a place where they can put their email address and they make a comment on the on my home page. They can go on the home page and they can say, "I read it." <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And listener, we will see you next week. Thanks, Meredith. Thank Thanks, Cher. Bye. Thank you so much. It was wonderful. Bye bye. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Are You Waiting for Permission? If you like what you heard, please like, comment, subscribe, and leave us a review. We would sure appreciate it. Also, we want to give a special shout out to Amy Shelley and Gary Grundy of High Fiction for letting us use their music in this podcast. All right, my friends, until next week, bye.